Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Show podcast. A very somber day in Fredericton, New Brunswick, with the police funeral for slaying officers Rob Costello and Sarah Burns. I spoke with Mike Armstrong from Global News. Scott Newark, former Canadian Police Association Executive Director, just wrote an opinion piece about what happened on the Danforth. Immigration, diversity, refugees, borders, all subject to major national debate this week. And with me were Rahil Raza, her book is Their Jihad, Not My Jihad. And from the United States, Dr. Zudi Jasser. Determined national reaction to six Maxime Bernier tweets of last Sunday, where Bernier accuses Justin Trudeau's approach to immigration and diversity will result in the balkanization of this country. Andrew Scheer joined me, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And here's what he had to say about that and about Maxime Bernier. The British Columbia wildfires... The scenes are spectacular and terrifying. Richard Zussman from Global News Television joined me. Mike Armstrong joins us, reporting for Global News. He's in Fredericton, was at the funeral. Hi, Mike. Thank you for taking the time. No problem. Uh, for, when you uh, when you're at a at a um, at a funeral for first responders and for police particularly, I think the the mood the atmosphere is always very different. We start to realize, or we realize poignantly, how involved they are in our lives. How they're always the first ones to be there. We remember what it is they actually do for us as communities, and we remember that when we complain, we're not recognizing their importance necessarily. As a woman said uh, to me today, we were watching the procession go by. Uh, I think it was about 1,400 police officers or first responders walking past us. And she said, you know, we complain we get a, when we get a speeding ticket, but it might save our lives uh, if we're going too fast down the road five minutes later. And it was unbelievable. One of the things that really stands out from this uh, this funeral, which is just wrapping up now, is how every speaker talked about how much uh, these two officers loved uh, loved what they did, how they loved their job. That was something, it was said so many times that the that the chief actually stopped and said, you can tell we all mean this because we didn't get together and prepare our speeches. We're just saying it by chance, cause, but it's heartfelt, it's true. Yeah, Mike, I was thinking about the first responders who are actually there, who've come from all over this country, from different parts of North America, and are actually there in the small Canadian city attending the funeral for two of their fellow first responders, two of their fellow police officers, that has to be particularly, particularly difficult for them. I mean, you see them in the hotel uh, sort of walking around with uh, their heads down a little bit. I would say, though, at the same time, they, there's a lot of pride here, um, pride in what they do. They're also, as soon as they get off the plane, greeted by people from this city showing up at the airport to offer rides into town, you know, so they don't have to fork out for a, for a cab ride. Uh, there are people that have donated cars, companies that have donated buses, people that are dropping off food, uh, you name it. So I think if you're a police officer here today, uh, you're pretty proud of what you do. You know, whether you've been to Fredericton or not, you've been to Fredericton. And it's, uh, it's a small Canadian city of 60,000 people. These sorts of things are not supposed to happen, but it reminds us again 
of who these people are, and, it, and quite often, Mike, it is people who grew up in those communities. They didn't parachute into the community later on in life. And the small police forces from small cities, they are folks from the neighborhood, and the neighborhood will never forget them. What's the, uh, what's, what's, what, what will you take away from today, you personally? Well, one moment that will underline what you've just said. Uh, we walked up to the uh, police station yesterday, and there's just a, a mountain of flowers and, and flags and cards and stuffed animals and candles and you name it. And it's all there. And I s stopped to talk to a gentleman, the first person I spoke to, and uh, he just started crying and explained to me um, that one of the officers, um, Sarah Burns, had been his uh, babysitter for his children when she was 14 years old. So that gives you an idea. I mean, these people... It's a big city for to, to, to try and say everybody knows everybody, but I keep hearing that. And as a matter of fact, even if you take the civilians that were killed in this, um, we went for dinner in a restaurant last night and uh, we talked to the waitress and said, you know, our condolences to the community. And she said, well, Donnie Robichaux was a close friend of mine. And that was zero degrees of separation right there in that restaurant. Um, it, and you really do feel it everywhere here. Yeah, the cliche is true. It is a small world. Mike, thank you so much. Mike Armstrong, reporting for Global News, joining us on The Roy Green Show. We're going to talk about being a cop and why it is you became a cop um, after the, uh, after the uh, funerals in Fredericton and my good friend, Mike Joy. And I'm surprised you called in because you're usually not the kind of person to call into the show. You tell me later on what you thought of what I did, but I should tell everybody that Mike is the most decorated for bravery police officer in Canada. He has received commendation after commendation for doing what he's done. He was at one, on one occasion, there was a very, very dangerous situation involving an individual with a rifle or a shotgun and a family, and uh, Mike drove up in his cruiser, or in the wagon, I'm not sure what he was driving, but if I, you dropped your, you dropped your, your gun and you, walked into that house, and you confronted that guy, and you came out with him. Did you not, Officer Joy? Yes. Hamilton yes. Police Officer. And it, and it was the wagon, by the way. It was the wagon. Good to talk to you, my friend. How are you? I'm okay. I'm good. Looking forward to our annual lunch, um, or our monthly lunch. It's going to be annual soon. <laughs> Mike, why did you become a cop? You were a Marine. Um, you're Canadian. You joined the U.S. Marine uh, after, during the Vietnam War. What was it that caused you to become a police officer in your home city of Hamilton, Ontario? Well, I, I think even today, uh, Roy, even though the culture is different, but I think it's the way you're raised by your parents, or in a lot, a lot of cases today, you're a single parent, uh, where you're taught and it's instilled in that you could actually go out there, and not even being a first responder, but you can actually go out there in your chosen career and, do, and, and make a difference. And I was fortunate that I, I think I, I think I made a difference to a couple of people in my career, but it was just something that I enjoyed. I enjoyed interacting with people. I mean, to be a to be a police officer today is like a talk show host. You have to be ready to sit down and listen to people, and not just always agree with them or disagree with them, but try and come to a reasonable solution on what the issues are. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, as you know me, and, and you know, we talk about it all the time. And uh, I just love being a cop. And uh, I probably still would be today if my health hadn't given out. Well, he, everyone knows who Mike Joy is. If you're in the city of Hamilton, you know Mike Joy. You know Officer Joy. All of his fellow officers, current and past, 
have a tremendous amount of respect for him, as do I. And uh, but my favorite story is about about you is always when you would park your cruiser on the side of a highway. It was Highway Six, if you know the Hamilton area, where people do have a, a preference for driving a little too quickly. And Mike would park on the shoulder with his lights on, and somebody would go howling past him, and then Officer Joy would race up and stop them, and the guy would say, oh, I thought you already had somebody, and uh, <laughs> it was too bad. It was, the, uh, it was the, the, the spider's lair. However, Mike, how many lives, you'll never know how many lives you saved by intervening when people were driving too quickly or intervening when they were driving too uh, much under the uh, influence of alcohol or whether they were inattentive. You'll never, ever know. But if I can ask you, what is, how significant a part of your job is that? Because that's when we meet the cop. That's when we meet Mike Joy, is when we're stopped for something we do in our vehicles most of the time. How significant a part of that is, is that of your job? It's a it's a big part. Number one, you're asking with the public, but a lot of times while working in Flamboree, as we used to call it, I gave out a lot of tickets because there's a lot of speeders out there. But you would get somebody doing American roll through a stop sign, and you'd, you'd stop them and say, you know why I've stopped you? And they would say, well, no. And I would say, well, you know, I think you do. But what I'm saying to you is next time, you know, I, I will write you a ticket. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there could be somebody coming through that intersection being just as inattentive of you, mm-hmm. and I would much rather speak to you like this, even if I was giving you a ticket, than putting you in an ambulance and speaking to you at a hospital, yeah. or worse yet. Yeah. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Officer Mike Joy from Hamilton, retired, great cop, Canada's most decorated for bravery police officer. Scott Newark is a great friend of this program's former Canadian Police Association executive director and former prosecutor in Alberta, just wrote an opinion piece for investigativeproject.org headlined, Canadians Need the Truth about Toronto's Danforth Avenue terrorist attack. So I want to know what Scott is getting at, and here he is. Mr. Newark, please, you've got the floor. Well, uh, you know, I was thinking about this in uh, contemplation of our discussion today. I mean, you and I have been talking for over 25 years on different cases and issues and in helping the public to know frankly what the hell is going on Mm -hmm. in specific cases and exposing the truth so that you've got greater systemic accountability Um, and actually that's an issue that is uh, in a course that I teach where we're talking about the importance of public confidence in the justice system so with that context in mind Roy it's now been a month since we had that attack on Danforth Avenue Okay, and there has been no official explanation of exactly what happened, or I think even more importantly, what information law enforcement and intelligence officials have with respect to a motivation. And that affects the public confidence in the system. And so the piece that I wrote was just to say, why? Why is that? You know, nobody is able to do anything in the sense of explaining what actually took place, because I think clearly Canadians deserve better. I also read in your piece that you're arguing, perhaps, that there was manipulation taking place, and perhaps still being uh, happening, as far as keeping the truth from the people is concerned. Well, yeah, there's, um, there's, there's two aspects to it. One is, I think, uh, most sort of obviously, uh, because there was 
violence directed at the uh, the shooter, Faisal Hussein, uh, by the police, that automatically triggers the jurisdiction of the Special Investigations Unit. And under the Police Services Act of Ontario, it's Section 113, Subsection 5, in effect, the SIU takes over control of the investigation, and nobody is allowed to say anything. And what's important about that, though, is the SIU mandate is restricted to where there are grounds to believe that the police officers, in performing their duties, unlawfully, criminally cause death or bodily harm to someone. Now, think about that. This guy was walking down the street shooting innocent people. Okay, the police got on scene quickly, and they did engage with him. And from what we've now been told, he essentially snuck behind a uh, street corner and shot himself. How in hell is that any kind of misconduct by police officers? And so if this delay is because of the fact that the, uh, the SIU is you know, um, acting in what it perceives to be its own bureaucratic self-interest, that's outrageous. That should not interfere with the public's right to know what's going on. The other possibility, I think, is in the uh, the motivations. Uh, there was some uh, uh, suspicion at first that this might be similar to the Alec Manassian van attack as well, uh, that was uh, misogynist, anti-woman, because the two people who were killed were both females. The one most seriously injured is a female. There were incidents that were on the media of people describing the shooter, and the the uh, in all of the incidents that I saw, at least, the victims that he was described shooting at were all women. And then some details started to emerge about whether or not this might be an Islamist attack. And in particular, Roy, uh, you know, I think it was three or four days after the incident when the cone of silence has descended, the Islamic State actually issues a media statement saying that he was one of their soldiers yeah. and who carried out yeah. the murderous attack yeah. in their cause. Scott, it's been a month. You've just outlined enough evidence, enough knowledge that there's no reason for us to not have an official report. I agree. Yes. There's no reason for the people of this country to be denied an official report. Yeah. And and, and that what what that suggests to me, and I got to run, my friend. But that what this suggests to me is that something's being held for withheld from us for a reason. So we have some questions here. What's being withheld and why? We definitely do in terms of bureaucratic self-interest or in terms of political correctness. Yet again. Thank you, my friend. All right. Bye-bye. Scott Newark, former prosecutor. In Alberta and former executive director of the Canadian Police Association for investigativeproject.org, the piece is titled Canadians Need the Truth About Toronto's Danforth Avenue Terrorist Attack. The diversity issue and about immigration and about refugees and about borders, all subjects to major national debates. Our guests take the issues on as patriotic Canadian and American Muslims. Each is a founding member of the Muslim Reform Movement. They were labeled extremists by Liberal MP Arif Virani over their challenge of Ikra Khalid, MP Ikra Khalid's M103, after having been invited by Parliament to disclose their points of view. And we did try to get Mr. Virani to come on the show and, in fact, debate one of my guests, but we never heard back from Mr. Virani. Rahil Raza joins me. Her book is Their Jihad, Not My Jihad. Her website is rahilraza.com. She's a, an educator. She's a speaker. She's a patriotic uh, Canadian. She's a devout Muslim. And when she spoke at Canada's Parliament, maybe Mr. Rani wasn't aware of this, she received a standing ovation. Rahil, thank you so much for taking the time. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Roy. 
And Dr. Zudi Jasser is a former United States Navy lieutenant commander, former president of the Arizona Medical Association. He's a cardiologist. He uh, is also the founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, and uh, his book is Battle for the Soul of Islam. We've spoken many times to Dr. Jasser on this program. Zudi, it's great to have you back with us. Oh, great to be with you, Roy. Thanks for having me. Let me start uh, with you, Raheel. When Mr. Trudeau speaks about diversity at some length, I feel like I'm being told that I had better up my game as a Canadian. Am I misunderstanding him? No, I don't think you're misunderstanding him. But the problem is that, um, you know, he has been touting this word diversity and multiculturalism for ever so long uh, without understanding that diversity is an organic issue. I mean, this is something that takes place because we are diverse people living here. It can't be a policy of the government. You can't force people to like each other. And this is what he seems to be, um, you know, constantly pounding upon, uh, because after all, he was a school teacher, so he's, uh, you know, got this innate habit of lecturing, and this is uh, what he's constantly doing. I don't uh, see how he thinks that talking about diversity is going to avoid discussing discussing the important issues that we have to talk about. You know, it can't be a cover up for what is happening in our communities, in our societies, which are issues that we must address head on. But multiculturalism and diversity in Canada, especially because multiculturalism is a government policy, um, just, you know, is a way of shutting people up to say, let's get a wise them, everybody you live, you know, in your own communities, and we'll fund you to learn your languages and, you know, uh, promote your heritage, which is wonderful, of course. But what about Canadian values? I'm an immigrant to Canada. Um, I've been here for 30 years, and I've always felt that we don't talk enough about Canadian values. We talk about everything else, and this is what this, uh, you know, uh, diversity and multiculturalism has done to us. When you read Max, I'm assuming, I'm sure you've read Maxime Bernier's tweets. Yes, of tweets. course. I responded. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's about time a leader or, or a politician said the truth because, you know, this was, uh, this was absolutely on the spot. And I'm horrified at the backlash that he's getting for this. Uh, because he, you know, when he called it the cult of diversity, he was absolutely right. You know, this is uh, about people living in ghettos and tribes and 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 their all uh, and their own cultural tents without understanding uh, the values which brought us here in the first place and the values which make us Canadian because we just don't talk about that. No, 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 that is politically incorrect. Uh, you know, when have I ever heard a prime minister say, "Let's talk about Canadian values"? So Maxine Bernier really said it as it is. Zudi, in the United States, uh, with the turnover in the, in the White House, going from President Obama to President Trump, much of what I've been hearing about uh, diversity and much of what I've been hearing about the position of multiculturalism or multicultural reality from uh, Mr. Obama and his administration, of course, we're not hearing that from Trump now, uh, is what's going on in your country? How would you describe what's happening in, in the United States as far as the diversity argument is concerned or the multicultural question is concerned, and how are Americans responding to what's happening? Well, I think in many ways it's similar. The far left has, during the Obama era especially, exploited uh, identity politics in order to 
balkanized society and through that balkanization by dividing us up into many minorities they end up claiming they own the minorities and that we whether we're arabs or blacks or or uh, any minority that they want to fit into the box that they feel the left will respond to those problems better than the right and that balkanization i mean to tell you frankly it runs against the entire american dream my family escaped the racism of the arab states of syria of egypt of saudi arabia and else it's run by single families and treats their people as slaves to come to the american dream which is that anybody through a free market has a chance to be successful run their own business be a politician be a leader and to the left that's simply about skin color it's simply about heritage it's not about skill set it's not about meritocracy so this is the problem is that diversity to the left is a bigotry of low expectations where the minorities are simply used as obama did to use the minorities as a prop in order to justify their own control of our society and now i think with the trump administration and with some shifts the community's pushing back and saying that's not what america's about and yet they they label a policy that's an immigration policy to prevent islamists from coming in they're calling that a muslim ban and still trying to balkanize our society when in fact it's not a muslim ban it's a ban against people who see the country the way our founding fathers fought against which was against theocracy so hopefully we can get back to the ideas and and the tweets that he put out were were just i were perfect uh, beginning of a conversation that has been long overdue you can't avoid can you rahil you can't avoid or redirect public fatigue which gives way to expression which gives way to frustration which eventually will give way to to, to serious challenge Oh, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, the reason my family and I came to Canada was to embrace the values of freedom of speech, uh, you know, uh, the, and all the other values that go with it. And I find it so frustrating when our lovely prime minister says there is no core identity, no no mainstream in Canada. Well, I'm sorry, but millions of people have come here because of the values that, that Canada espouses. And we have to talk about these things because this is exactly, as you say, what happens. You can't. Uh, you, you can't stop people from expressing their opinions. And Maxine Bernier received an official rebuke from Andrew Scheer, which is something that should not have happened. Uh, but, you know, and, and he accused him of playing identity politics. I think it's the other way around. Diversity, multiculturalism allow us to play identity politics because it, it start asking us to have hyphenated identities. And uh, again, you know, we have MPs who are of different ethnic backgrounds, but a few of them have hyphenated identities. I never want to be a hyphenated Canadian. I am Canadian. My children are Canadian. Our loyalty is to this country, and we uphold the values that this country has given us. And we want to talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Remember 1996? In the, I think it was 1996, the federal census. You weren't allowed to tick a box where you identified yourself simply as Canadian. You had to be a yes. something hyphen Canadian. There was no oh. option to mark yourself as a Canadian, and then they told us, well, you can write it in if it bothers you. 
Yes, well, it did bother me, and I did write it in. Uh, you know, there are all these labels that people have, you know, a woman of color, a woman of Asian descent. No, I'm a Canadian, and that is why I came here, and I embrace everything that is good in Canada, which, of course, allows me to criticize that which troubles me, which is, uh, you know, uh, people who bash uh, Maxime Bernier for speaking the truth. And truth has also sort of gone by the, uh, by the side because of a regressive left, because of political correctness and because we're living in a time where you just don't get people to to speak the truth. So I'm thankful for you, uh, to you for having us on this program to discuss this, uh, you know, and, and coming from uh, me as an immigrant, I hope it matters that uh, I'm a proud Canadian and I want to uphold Canadian values. Uh, my heritage is there and I have the freedom to enjoy it as much as I can. But in the public in, uh, you know, in, in the mainstream, I am a Canadian. Zudi, uh, let me ask you the same question around the same words past you. You cannot avoid and you cannot redirect public anger and fatigue. Eventually, people will make themselves heard, make themselves known. And if you try to shut them up, it's not going to work. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. And, you know, the, the bottom line is, is do we respect each other with equality or are we going to continue to patronize individuals as being identified by their ethnicity? So in many ways, the comments of Bernier are a tough love. You know, one of his tweets said members of various ethnic communities are fed up with platitudes. They're active members of our society at all levels and they demand no special status. They just want equal opportunity. When I was in the Navy, nobody cared what nationality I was, what race I was. We were equally together, uh, sworn in as officers to fight for the protection of our Constitution and national security and the missions that I served in Somalia and elsewhere. That is what America is about. It wasn't about which color I was or which identity politic box I checked. And yet we're told that we're supposed to respond and be represented by the mafia that runs our organizations and many Islamist groups uh, that emanate from petro-Islamic interests out of Iran or out of Saudi Arabia or elsewhere, and that's the checkbox that folks like Ikra Khalid and others want to represent our community, and yet voices like Raheel's and mine get marginalized. Why? Because we respect our American and Canadian identity as free thinkers over the Islamist theocratic movement. Raheel, how does this end? <laughs> that's a very good question. We're worried about that as well. Um, how this ends is that we all stand up in support of Maxine Bernier. And one of the things that I find that the average Canadian on the street somewhat lacks is, you know, there is a sense of apathy. Uh, they don't stand up and speak out as easily and quickly as we find people in the United States do. And I wish they would, you know, Canadians who are voters, Canadians who don't like what is happening, uh, M103, the Islamists, uh, all this division and ghettoization. They have the same ideas and feelings as you and I do, but they don't speak out. They must speak out, uh, you know, write letters to the editor, express their opinions. Of course, today we live in a world of social media. They must express the, uh, their opinion. And the travesty of this was, as you know very well, that there was a statue of uh, uh, Sir John A. Macdonald, which was removed, a bronze statue in Victoria. And, uh, you know, in contrast, there was a statue of the founder of Pakistan, uh, which was uh, erected in Winnipeg, and none of the MPs of Pakistani heritage said a word about this. 
uh, none of them spoke about the fact that Pakistan has sided with Saudi Arabia in its angst and backlash against Canada. So, you know, these are questions that we ask our children. When my son was in school, I asked him that if you go into the Canadian Army and, you know, hypothetically, if there's a war between Pakistan and Canada, because we are from Pakistan, where do you stand? He said, I'm Canadian. And I'm so proud of them. Like, they don't think twice. They're not hyphenated Canadians. Mm -hmm. They're Canadian and their loyalties to Canada, because that is what we've taught them. But how many schools teach this? How many, how many schools, how many, how many provinces actually teach history, real Canadian history, and teach it with some level of pride and commitment? That's, that's the question. Not very many. What about the United States? We have about 30 seconds left. Saudi so is history, American history taught with, uh, with conviction in the United States? It's being taught as simply to accentuate the, the guilt for parts of our history that we're trying to correct and that we long have. So that's the part that's taught. The part about what Jefferson and Madison the part about the First Amendment's religious freedom, freedom of speech, how they fought against theocracy, all the elements that I try to, to embrace to use as tools to advance us, I get marginalized as okay. a result uh, because of the identity politics. Dr. Jasser, Raheel Raza, thank you both very much. Good talking to you. Thank you for you. having us. Thanks. Have a great week. Thank you. Thanks. Conservative Party of Canada leader, Andrew Scheer, who's on the line. I'm going to talk to him in just a couple of seconds. I just want to read this to you. Just to bring it back to the beginning, on Sunday last, Maxime Bernier, and you know his story, issued a series of tweets on diversity, six of them. And uh, he said, in part, Trudeau's extreme multiculturalism and cult of diversity will divide us into little tribes. More diversity will not be our strength. It will destroy what has made us such a great country. And then there's some headlines that... uh, so here's a headline from uh, here's one headline. Share cautions Bernier members of caucus need to work together. And then another one, uh, Andrew Shear joins caucus members in condemning Bernier's identity politics. Andrew Shear joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Mr. Shear, thank you for taking the time. And are you caught in a I don't put words in your mouth, but are you caught in a bit of a catch-22 situation? This is your guy. He's a member of your caucus. He was a member of your front bench. He's no longer because of an action you took. And uh, he said some things and he's tweeted some things that are controversial um, and not appreciated by some members or maybe many of your caucus. But others probably feel reasonably positively about what he tweeted. So are you caught between what you can say, can't say, can do, can't do? Uh, not at all. Uh, we've always had a very uh, clear message on this, and I know that there are uh, many people who are frustrated at, at the way Justin Trudeau has handled uh, several issues related to this. You know, he, uh, Trudeau says that we are a country that doesn't have a, an identity, and, and conservatives have, have rejected that. We believe that we can and must be uh, a country that celebrates and passes on uh, the, our cultural traditions, our, the history of what made this country great. Well, at the same time, recognize that uh, we have been the, the, the country for, for many, many years, many generations, have welcomed people from all over the world of many different backgrounds. Uh, and we can, we can do both. And uh, that's, I, I think there's a lot of frustrations with the government right now. Uh, and to speak very clearly and say, uh, we can be a country that, that opens its doors to people looking for better opportunity, looking for freedom, looking for a, a stable country, and recognizing what made Canada the type of place that offers that to the world. Does the frequency expressed this week that Maxime Bernier 
is connecting more with Canadians through his tweet than you are with your statements suggest to you that perhaps Andrew Scheer should change his view or at least modify your explanations about how immigration and um, multiculturalism, and we'll get to the legal, illegal border crossings in a moment, that maybe you should modify your statements more if a significant percentage of people in this country are siding with Maxime Bernier. Or do you think it's that's just emotional response from a fairly small cross-section of Canadians? Well, no, I, I think many people are responding to what uh, has been portrayed. I think the, the issue with uh, with what Maxime has done is, you know, in, in uh, it, was, it took, took, took me by surprise. I haven't heard him uh, express those types of things in that manner before. And, and, and giving the impression that the two are mutually uh, uh, impossible to, to, to do, to the, the two things of, of, of welcoming people from around the world, uh, be, recognizing that we are a, a country made up of people from very diverse backgrounds, and at the same time, uh, work towards uh, integration, uh, promote the acceptance and, and the embracement of, of fundamental Canadian principles like equality, tolerance, the rule of law. Uh, how, how do you do both. that? How do you do? Well, how would you change? How would you change Mr. Trudeau's policies to to fit what you have just explained to us? We need to do because Mr. Trudeau's policies, your policies need to be different from his if you're going to win next year. Absolutely, and and they absolutely have been. And we, when when Justin Trudeau said that Canada didn't have a national identity, we firmly rejected that. Uh, I have spoken out against uh, the, the extreme political correctness that we've seen, and 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 uh, like taking down the statues of John A. Macdonald. I've said that we have to be the country that can uh, recognize uh, mistakes in the past without erasing uh, the contribution. Uh, get made to Canada by by key figures. Uh, we we can have uh, immigration process that puts an emphasis on integration. You'll remember the previous citizenship guide that uh, ensured that newcomers that were coming to Canada had a better understanding of the type of country that they were uh, moving to. And, I, and I've always said, and you'll find our shadow ministers, our members of Parliament, have always said that uh, Canada is the place that people want to come to. It's the place that yeah, but you know what? You know what I hear, Mr. Shear. What I hear from people is that you're not really going to. If you become the prime minister, you will really not change very much because you, like other politicians, will see the value of uh, of votes, and you will play both sides against the middle. That's an accusation that's made. Uh, against virtually all politicians, but you and I are having this conversation now, not because you're resonating with Canadians whose votes you need, but because you're not. Well, I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly there with you. You know, we're uh, I, my approach of, of bringing people together and and working on issues in a, with a positive uh, attitude on things and a positive messages is resonating uh, extremely well. If you look at uh, how our party is doing, we're we're out fundraising the Liberals two to one. We just picked up a by election in Quebec. We've been talking about the issues that's that true. To Canadian. We're we're promoting lawful immigration. We've been calling on uh, the government to do something about the illegal border crossing. That's true. We've offered ideas. We we have rejected the identity politics from the left, you know, from the liberals when it comes to um, things like Motion uh, M103 that, that 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 engaged in that. And but at the same time, I have no problem with the idea that we can go into cultural communities and talk about how conservative principles will improve the quality of life for newcomers from anywhere in Canada. Not to offer them a different set of policies, but to say, sure. hey, great to have you here in Canada. Here's how we're going to lower your tax. You're there. Safe, and here's the type of country you've arrived in—one that's based on equality, 
the rule of law, democratic institutions, and tolerance. And we can do both. And I reject the idea that you have to uh, put the, the two things at odds of, of welcoming people from different backgrounds. Uh, yeah, but, but you, or, don't, you, or, you don't want, you don't want, you don't want Trudeau to make the argument that, look, Andrew Scheer is either he's going to say you're just another Stephen Harper or he's going to say that you're, uh, you're using his policies and just slightly changing them. People have to understand what it is you're, you're doing. Now, if I can go on to this issue, and we only have limited time with you. So John A. McDonald's statue being cut down in Victoria, British Columbia, that caused a great deal of concern among Canadians, whether they're, whether it's newly arrived Canadians or multi-generational Canadians. That was a really significantly troubling issue, and it set a precedent, Mr. Shear. Would you speak to that, please? Yes, absolutely, and, and, I, and I am very much opposed to this uh, type of thing. I think it's a very dangerous mindset to look through the lens of modern day uh, situation and 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 look back and and start to say, well, we're going to erase the key figures in Canadian history. Uh, I believe that we can look at what happened at various times and acknowledge that there were injustices committed, uh, and and say, you know, those are things that we would not allow to have uh, happen today, and these are are things that we're trying to right. But for heaven's sake, you know, we can we can look at those great characters in Canadian history who have built this country, who who have achieved great things. Uh, and and we can celebrate that while at the same time uh, learning from the mis- mistakes of the past. And it is a dangerous mindset to think that you have to erase and blot out uh, anyone who has any flaw. We are all flawed uh, human beings, and 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 as as time progresses and, and different societies, uh, you know, uh, pr- progress in terms of of human rights and equality. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there are things that 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 we would never allow to be repeated. Uh, but I am very much much opposed to that type of uh, extreme political correctness that that uh, you know white it just blots out important key figures in Canadian history. Yeah, I can't do that. So you have the convention next week in uh, in Halifax. Do you want to? Tell Mr. Bernier out of the party. Do considerable numbers of your caucus wish that? And should we expect that at next week's conservative convention in Halifax, Mr. Bernier might find himself expelled? You know, I I think the proper way to look at that is to recognize that uh, uh, Maxime Bernier has a choice. It's his choice. Uh, it's his choice as to whether or not to uh, to work as a team, to, uh, to 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 work at these things collaboratively. To to if he has a view on how we should be communicating or on what to to bring that forward, as every other member of parliament in our caucus is, is asked to do. Um, I, I I hope he chooses to to. Uh, to do just that. I believe that members of our party, uh, conservative voters across the country, want to defeat Justin Trudeau in the next election. Mm-hmm. And that should be Maxime's primary goal as well. And uh, I've asked all members of our caucus to, to make that their primary goal, to work towards that. And now the choice is, uh, is with Maxime. He needs to choose, uh, you know, does he want to help defeat Justin Trudeau uh, in the next election? It's going to be an interesting 14 months. What should we look for from your convention next week? Well, as with any convention, you know, we're going to be working on uh, policy frameworks about uh, how a conservative party would address the, the issues of the day. Uh, a lot has changed since our last uh, convention, so uh, we have a, a robust grassroots process that allows members to put forward ideas. I'll be giving a speech where I'll be laying out the contrast points between how the Liberal government has been handling things and how a, a Conservative government would offer a positive uh, solution to the challenges of the day. And, of course, uh, you know, we'll be talking a little bit about uh, how we bring that message to Canadians. Uh, I, I've, I've always believed that 
conservative principles can be applied to any situation, any challenge facing Canadians. Uh, it is uh, it is the conservative approach that always leads to greater prosperity and a greater quality of life. It's just a, the, the key for us is how we connect with individuals, whether they're in Halifax, where our convention is, or on the prairies in Saskatchewan, where I'm from, or in big cities uh, like Toronto and Vancouver. So we have a, a great convention. I'm looking forward to it, and I know that we're going to come out of it stronger than ever. All right. Well, I thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I criticized you some time ago for not being available, really, to, well, certainly to me and to some other media, but you've shown that's not the case, and I appreciate you talking to us today. Thank you, Mr. Shearer. Well, it's always my pleasure. We, we can't always accommodate a request every time, but we certainly do uh, when we can uh, like to come on and, and uh, have an opportunity to discuss the issues that are important to your listeners. It's important. Yeah, thanks so much. Andrew Shear, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada on the Roy Green. You've seen any of the film or photography out of British Columbia from the wildfires, the forest fires, absolutely mind-boggling. It looks, looks apocalyptic. Richard Zussman from uh, Global News, British Columbia, joins us. He's been covering all of this and was in Prince George. Richard, thank you for taking the time. Your, your pictures look cataclysmic. Uh, what's a day like covering these fires? Yeah, Roy, it's quite something. Yesterday, especially, woke up at about 6.30 in the morning and looked outside and it was pitch black and uh, knew that the sun was supposed to be up at 5.45 and it stayed black until about 7.45 and then... The sky starting to light it up a bit, and the reason why is because the smoke was so thick in and around Prince George, it shielded the city from the sun. Um, and then the, it got a little bit later, and about 9 o'clock, uh, the wind shifted again, and all of a sudden we were in pitch black again. So between 9 and 10 a.m., uh, it was pitch black in Prince George, and then slowly in the day, got a little bit lighter, but still. Uh, that smoke was thick and dense throughout the region all day. It's sort of this constant reminder there are so many evacuees 1200 have already checked in in prince george there are more than 3000 people in british columbia on evacuation order more than 20000 on evacuation alert and that smoke uh, is that constant reminder that you know where people live their homes they are fires that are burning more than 550 of them in the province uh, and people are expecting some of them to be out of their homes uh, for weeks and likely into september Wow. Wow. It has to be so traumatizing to be afraid for your home. If you're evacuated, you don't know what's happening to your home right right then and there. Yeah, and Roy, I spoke to a woman yesterday who brought her seven kids with her to Prince George from a community uh, near Francois Lake, uh, just south of Burns Lake. And her husband stayed at home to try to protect their property. And they're trying to get a family friend into the area, but the authorities won't let them in because there's an evacuation order. So she's in Prince George not knowing what's happening there. And her husband is trying to ensure that their property is protected from the fire. I I can't imagine, Roy, there's so many people across British Columbia dealing with it. And, you know, we've tried over the last week or so to be able to tell those stories. Well, you're doing an amazing job. Richard, thanks so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, God bless, Godspeed, get this uh, thing over with and and under control. Richard Zussman from Global News in uh, British Columbia on The Roy Green Show. Thanks for listening. The Roy Green Show is available wherever you find podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.